coming up. A lot of people have accused you of being narcissistic. Life as a work of art. People think that I'm egotistical and narcissistic, but it's not true. As a matter of fact, if I did identify with a Greek mythological character, it would not be Narcissus. Who would it be? Zeus. Could living your life as a work of art really be the secret to happiness? There's a way of relating to your life and assuming a posture of authorship toward it. Our guest is Lanier Anderson from Stanford University. Exactly that power to stand back and reflect and plan your life can allow you actually to reconnect with that life and endorse it in a way that enables your life to realize an important value of autonomy. All people know the same truth. Our lives consist of how we choose to distort it. Life as a work of art, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Stanford University campus as part of the Stanford Continuing Study Series, The Art of Living. Our thinking originates on the underside of the quad over at Philosopher's Corner, where Ken and I practice the art of philosophy. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, life as a work of art. Well, Ken, lots of lives are works of art, or parts of works of art. For example, Captain Ahab's life is a part of Melville's novel, Moby Dick. But my life isn't a work of art, so why in the world should I pretend that it is? Well, John, the idea is that real life, even your life and my life, can be and maybe ought to be regarded as, as works of art. Well, I, I can see that there could be a comic novel about an absent-minded philosophy professor that was based on my life. It might even be well-written, artistically written, but that wouldn't make me a work of art. But your life, like a work of art, is shaped and formed by the decision of a person, an artist, an author, and that person is you. And like an artist, you, you can make something beautiful or, or at least meaningful out of your life, purposely shaping your life into something with coherence, beauty, grace, style. That's what it is to live your life as a work of art. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. If, if, I'm, if I'm writing a novel, I can make the hero anything I want. I can make my hero be a quarterback who studies physics for fun and makes a lot of money on the stock market on the side. But I can't just write my life like that. I can't make my life like that. Life is not like that. You can't just decide how you want your life to be and then shape it. Well, John, I, I, I think you're underestimating your own artistic power. Yeah, yeah. Look, you are constrained by your physical and mental equipment. And there are many other things that are out of your control, no doubt about it, John. But there's still lots of room to make many important choices and decisions about your life. And here's the point, aesthetic values, artistic values can shape and guide those choices and decisions. Okay, let's assume this all makes sense. Even so, it seems like a really bad idea. No, why would you say that? I don't get that. Well, because the aesthetic, artistic 
decisions, the decisions made by the lights of those motives, may not be the wise decisions. They may even be deeply immoral decisions. Suppose I'm at a bar, and an obnoxious guy gives me a hard time, and finally, he hits me. The wise thing to do is for me to leave. Given my prowess as a fighter, the moral thing to do is leave before I hurt another human being. <laughs> to turn the other cheek, as my grandmother taught me. But those decisions would make for a very boring life. You'd never get a good movie out of somebody that lived that sort of life. If my life is to be a work of art, I need to do something exciting, like busting a bottle of bourbon over the guy's head. Oh, John, your, your, your aesthetic sense is way too crude. Look, look, great characters in great novels, they don't have to be violent thugs. I mean, think, think Jane Eyre. Think uh, Holden Caulfield. Think Jean Valjean from Les Miserables. And besides... Don't you want to live your life so that it's aesthetically coherent? Don't you want to live with a sense of style? Don't you want your life to be governed by themes? That's what it is to live one's life as a work of art, John. Oh, get real. I mean, <laughs> that, that sounds so self-absorbed, even narcissistic to me, like Bo Brummel or Oscar Wilde or Johnny Depp. I <laughs> I, I guess it could be if it was carried to an extreme, but that's not intrinsic to the very idea. It, it's, it's less a matter of being self-absorbed than being self-reflective. What am I trying to do with my life? What sort of person am I? Do I want to be and become? What sort of impression do I want to make on others? Those are the questions, John. Well, maybe I can make a little sense out of it this way. It sounds like what you think I should do is I should draft something that could be read at my funeral. And, and it should have artistic value. It should paint me as an interesting character. Maybe flawed but virtuous, gruff but kind, and so on. Then, having written that, I should try to live my life. So, in fact, that would be an accurate eulogy. Well, if you live that way, if you live your life that way, with an eye toward what it would look like as a whole, is that necessarily narcissistic or self-absorbed to go back to your criticism? I don't see why you would think that. Well, to tell you the truth, I'm still pretty skeptical of the whole idea. Well, let's see if this helps ease your skepticism. Our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, talked to some musicians who've incorporated their lives into their art and their art into their lives. She files this report. 2011 was a year of highs and lows for blues singer Janiva Magnus. All these wonderful things were happening and all these horrific things were happening. Lots of losses. That year I buried eight people very close to me. Uh, lost a 17-year marriage. My cat died the week before Christmas. Uh, my kitty girl. And um, I made a record. That record, Stronger For It, is a reflection of what she was going through at the time. Like this one particularly brutal conversation with her ex. I hung up the phone. And I swear to God, I could see the knife in my chest. That's what it felt like. And I literally was breathless. I, when I hung up the phone and I sat at my desk, sobbing, with snot running down my lip, it was beautiful. She picked up her pen and the words just started pouring out. The pain of her divorce and the pain of her rocky past turned into what would become the song, Whistling in the Dark. And I scratched out the lyric. When you first held me, you held me so tight. I felt like nothing could hurt me in the middle of the night. Those days are long gone. 
but some nights I still feel the same. I know you're leaving, and I think maybe I only got myself to blame. But I'll keep pretending. I'll just keep on pretending. I'll just keep on pretending. Whistling in the dark. I had a pretty rough kickstart. My parents were bad people. They were just kind of sick. They were sick people. I was molested in the home by the age of six. Um, first time I tried to kill myself, I was four. My mother found it necessary to take her own life right after my 13th birthday. Um, my father found it necessary to take his own life right after I turned 16. Then she found blues music, and it saved her. The first time she heard Otis Rush live, the music held her captive, and it made her feel like she was okay. I'm not alone in the world. I'm not frightened. I'm not um, grieving. I'm not anything other than like in this moment, and it feels really good. I've seen people who, if I could write a song as beautiful as they've composed their life, I would, I would be a happy songwriter. <laughs> Craig Chiquiso is a gifted guitar player and former member of Jefferson Starship. As a child, Craig and his father were hit by a drunk driver. The accident would affect the rest of his life. I woke up in the hospital with two broken arms, a broken thumb, a broken wrist, a broken leg, broken ankle, broken foot. Uh, I was in a coma for a little while, and uh, when I came to, um, the first thing I asked for was my little acoustic guitar. Music was his physical and emotional therapy. Lying in his hospital bed, arms and leg in a cast, Craig wrote a song that, 30 years later, would end up on his Grammy-nominated album. Since I could only reach the high E string on my little guitar at that time, uh, I wrote a song on the E string, because it was the only string I could play. When I see work that really moves me, I know that that person who created it had something that I share with them, that same feeling, that joy, that sadness, that sorrow, that love, whatever it is I'm getting out of their art, I, I know they've lived it too, to, to touch me on such a deep level. Craig plays free shows for hospital patients. Janaba has become a foster care activist, sharing her story to help inspire kids. They both fought hard and lived well. Their lives are in their music, and their music is beautiful. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.